That is, that is just a spectacular verse. If you've never memorized it, Romans chapter 1, 16, 17, fantastic stuff. My childhood pastor when I was growing up, that was his life verse. And I encourage you guys to be there. What's the life verse that you live by? His was a great verse for a preacher. If a preacher doesn't believe in the power of God to change lives, he or she should not be doing it. And so I'm here to say the reason we preach the Bible is not just because some Baptist a long time ago thought that's how you ought to write a sermon. It's because while we illustrate and tell stories and provide background to help inform you, it is the power of God, the Word of God, that provides the power unto salvation. And that is why we do everything we do in this place. Everything we do to support children and families and parents and young Ultimately, it is to say to you, only God can transform your life. Only Jesus can save you. Only the power of God can change you from the inside out. So thank you, choir, for that song. Thank you, Clark, for that great selection of that song. It is a blessing. Thank you for letting me sing with you. I love that. Okay. Well, speaking of pastors, you know one of the things pastors are notorious for in their preaching is using their families. I mean, over the years, my son, daughter, and wife have said, you, you better be careful up there. Uh, but we're notorious for using our families, our stories, our vacations, our trip, whatever we do. I talked about being on an airplane today just a few minutes ago. We, we do all that as illustrations for the biblical truths that we are trying to communicate to the church family. So today I have a story. Today I have a pimenta story for you. Now, Pimenta is our new dog in our home, my daughter's dog technically, and uh, looks just like this. She's been playing with the peanut butter jar, for those of you who don't know what that is in front of her. You turn a dog loose with a peanut butter jar and see what happens. How many of you have had a dog now or in the past? Have you ever had a dog? Okay, all right. So, so dogs in particular, have you ever seen them eat so fast that it barely registers? Callie is one of these millennial pet owners, so she goes on the internet and looks at all this stuff, and she comes in, she comes in with this dog bowl, food dog food bowl, that inside it, it's shaped like a clover, kind of like a maze, all these plastic walls. Why? So the dog has to take longer to eat because they have to work into all the nooks and crannies. And I must say, it's a raving success. It must have moved Pimenta from 20 seconds to 30 seconds. I mean, absolutely. uh, that, That dog, when she begs for a treat, I mean, she'll do all kinds of things to get a treat. But when the treat comes, it's bite, bite, gone. She does not know how to savor the treat after doing all that work to convince the pet humans that we should give her one. It barely seems as if she could enjoy it. I mean, she's just inhaling the darn thing, and then she wants another one. And it's, it's absolutely amazing to watch this. And so it's, and then the other thing you'll notice, and you've probably seen this in your home, after you've fed, somebody's fed the dog, the next family person who comes into the room, the dog says, could you please feed me? I haven't been fed for weeks. So, I want to say something to you. God does not want you to live like that. Now, I don't mean eating out of a dog bowl, not not a plain one, but I'm talking about consuming, and consuming so fast that you're acting as if you don't know where your last meal came from and where your next meal is coming from. And I don't just mean in food, right? You understand what I'm talking about. 
talking about how we relate to consuming all kinds of things. We get something and at times it seems we barely take a moment to enjoy it and we're on to the next thing. The joke at our house is we're planning our next restaurant visit while we're sitting in a restaurant. You know, that's, that's how it can be sometimes. And you have to watch out for that, folks. God, every moment God has given you, every moment of your life and mine, God has given us to enjoy. But we have to make space. We have to make space in our hearts to be able to move beyond the, the urgent grabbing, the, the untamed longings, and to get into a place of some peace and pace and contentment that slows things down so that we can enjoy a bit of satisfaction with the gifts we've received. Now, to your credit and mine, as human beings, we are rarely fooled by something as simple as a bowl of dog food. But we have substitutes that are almost as foolish. I mean, we get so hung up on stuff. I got to have this. I wish I had that. If only I could afford that thing. Stuff. Possessions. But too often the joy of those things that we seek after lasts just about as long as pimentous satisfaction over a bowl of dog food. I mean, it is just that fast. Joy and satisfaction, contentment, if we're not careful, those can be very fleeting. Now, because, right, it's easy. Buying something is an easy fix, but it is not sustainable over the long haul. I mean, you'd be going into the mall, buying something, coming out to your car, putting it down, and going back in to buy some more. Oh, yeah, some of you do that. <laughs> I mean, that's really, it's, I, I got this stuff, but now I got to go get more stuff. And now when I get home, I have to throw away some stuff so I can make room for the stuff that I bought and the stuff that I still want to bring in. Stuff, stuff, stuff. Sometimes, once that quick joy is gone, the possessions remain, sometimes you walk by that thing that you just had to have and you bought, and isn't it like if it had a voice, it would talk to you, and it wouldn't be gracious. It would be mocking you. Just had to have me, just had to have me, but here I sit. Why don't you ever play with me? That's what you would see. That's kind of, here's the thing, folks. Possessions come with hidden costs far beyond the monetary expression, far beyond the monetary expenditure. Here's a fun fact for you. Those of you who like little fun facts to remember, if you combined all of the self-storage facilities in the U.S., you know who you are. <laughs> you, those storage lockers where we put what is it? Oh, yeah, stuff that we don't have room for with our regular stuff. So we have a subset of stuff that we put in the storage unit. If you took all the self-storage facilities in the U.S., they would cover the entire city, the, the size of Las Vegas, over 83 square miles of storage facilities in the U.S. So we, we not only have a, a, a disconnect and a, and a, and a 
problem when it comes to buying stuff. We have a problem letting go of stuff. It, it, so we have to buy a place to store. More and more stuff to get more and more, and more money to get more and more stuff that we think we need to put in our more and more storage lockers. It's crazy. And part of the reason is that thinking about material things can be a distraction from the things that really matter. That's both a problem and a cause. Some people do it to take their mind off of it. Some people don't think about what matters because they're so distracted by the stuff. It's, it's kind of a crazy cycle. And let me just say this to everybody. I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you what hurts us. We need to name the problem. It's a crazy cycle. It hurts us. It hurts our careers. It hurts our marriages. It hurts our time with our kids. It hurts our hopes and our dreams. And since we are sitting in a church this morning, or perhaps you're watching with us online, but as we're talking about the Word of God, we need to be aware that this cycle of having to have stuff, having to, this distress, it can keep us from doing what God is calling us to do in our lives, from becoming the people that God wants us to become in our lives. And Jesus himself warned about it. You remember these famous words from Jesus? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say that last phrase with this verse right here. Say that with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow, powerful words. And when you think about that, if your treasure's in a storage locker gathering dust, I don't like to think about my heart, right? Where your heart, your treasure is, where your heart, my heart being in a storage locker just collecting dust. It's a bad image. Forgotten, left behind, auctioned off to the cheapest, you know, sale thing that comes along in storage lockers, which is an idea for a public TV series. No, I'm sorry, you, many of you have seen that. A&E, whatever it is. How does that relate to us today? Well, we're in a series of messages where we are talking about what it means to make space for God by making space relationally and financially in our earthly lives. That gives God room to work. Making space is all about discovering the keys to having some room, some space in our finances so we can live the life that God is calling us to, making space emotionally so we get junk out of the way and we can connect to people the way we really want to and that God wants us to. But it's hard to do that, to make space if you're constantly bringing more junk in, right? You're getting something out and then you get more stuff in. So that's, that makes it very, very difficult. So I'm, what I'm hoping we can do uh, is to learn how to sort through that a little bit. I think one of the biggest ways we can make space in our lives is to learn how to limit this tug, this pull called more. Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more stuff. Now, last week, 
We talked about how we need to deal what's in our mind. You know, Jesus at one point talked about loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last week we talked about making space in our minds. Today I want us to talk about our hearts. It's important to do that so that we can move forward, which gets into the not just the, the mind part where, where we asked, you know, how can I manage better? When we start talking about our hearts, we have to talk about the feelings that we have. Do, do I need stuff to make me happy? How much stuff does it take before I can stop this grabbing and grabbing, grabbing? And dealing with these questions of the heart is going to help us find some balance, help us find some gratitude, help us to make space. Gratitude moderation, balance, help us find contentment. That's the word for the day, contentment. And contentment is really a heart issue. Contentment, if you think about it like a highway, it's the off-ramp. It's how you get off of this treadmill of more and more and more stuff, learning contentment instead of just consumerism. Contentment is kind of like the secret sauce to to making space in our hearts for God. I want you to hear what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. That's what contentment is about. I have learned whatever state I am to be content. The challenge is we live every day in a culture that does not celebrate contentment. It does not lift it up as a value to be sought after. We're taught, oh yes, hard work. That's where you get your value. What do we do by our hard work? We earn more money. That gets us a higher status. What do we do by our hard work? It impresses other people, our bosses, the people. We, and I'm not saying that hard work's a bad thing. I'm just saying this is what we end up, we're going for these other goals. How can I impress others? How can I establish a value? And it can be hard for us in this world, in this culture in which we live, to realize that our value, listen, our value just might not come from what we earn. How about that as a shocking idea? In the Washington, D.C. area, how much you've got and who you know, those are big things. It may not, biblically, our value doesn't come from what we earn or how many hours we work or how much stuff we've got. When we read a verse like Philippians 4, 12 that we just saw, we see that God's word values not our socioeconomic status, but the way we live, the condition of our heart. Have we learned whether we have much or whether we have little in our heart to be content? And if you look at that verse carefully, it almost doesn't matter what translation you got. The one that I read to you, he said, I have learned the secret. I have learned, I have learned. You know what that means? Here's some great news. You might want to write this down. Contentment is a learned skill. So you don't have to sit there and think, oh, Pastor Eddie's got it. He was born with it. No, no. Paul wasn't born with it. 
I wasn't born with it. You're not born with it. It is a learned skill. Look at the person beside you or nearest you and just say, I can learn. Just say, I can learn. See, that's true. I don't care what your background is. You can learn. You might learn slower. You might learn faster. It might take harder lessons. It might be easier lessons. It might be audio. It might be visual, whatever way you learn. But you can learn. This is good news. This is the gospel. The good news is you can learn contentment. It's a learned skill. It's not something you're born with. And with God's help, we can all learn it, learn to live. So here's the next question. If we can learn it, how do we learn it? And what I want to do today and the rest of our time, just very quickly, talk about three ways in which we can make space in our heart learning contentment. Here's the first one. You refuse to trade self for stuff. To make space in my heart for God, to give Him room to work freely, I'm going to practice contentment. I'm going to learn. You're right. Learning involves practice. Oh, yeah, we get the musicians up here. I can tell you, there are some who want to play without practicing. Not the good ones. The old joke, right? What's the way to Carnegie Hall? Practice, man, practice. You want to play in Carnegie Hall? Don't worry about the street signs. Somebody will get you there. But what you better do is practice, practice, practice. You want contentment? You better understand it's a learned skill. It's practice. I have to refuse to trade myself for a bunch of stuff. And Jesus put it this way in Mark 8, he, a very important question he asked. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Wow. You see, we all have needs that need to be met. That's absolutely true. But there comes a point, and it's not nearly as high as most of us imagine it to be, in the accumulating of stuff and wealth and possessions where happiness actually kind of flattens out. And so what happens is our, our wanter you know, and our neater, they get all confused. What do we need? What do we want? We get a little confused about those things. As we get more stuff, often the, the, the need level moves. Away. See, when you're, when you're here, you think, okay, this is what I need. When you get here, you think, you know what, I, I need some more. Okay, I'll get that. I need some more. I need some more. And, and when there's no cap to that more, you just keep going and chasing and chasing. And, and, and what used to be a want is now a need that I must fill. And it changes my whole perspective on life in a bad way. Why is that? Why do we have this constantly expanding list of needs? Well, there are actually a bunch of different reasons. One is we're afraid we're going to let other people down. So if you're, if you're responsible for others, if you're a parent and you've got children, you're married, you've got a spouse, you're in a family system, you've got roommates, you never want to let people down, you've got to pay your share, you've got to do your part. You know, we feel pressured. We also want their respect. We want our, our teachers, our parents, our spouses, our friends to respect us. And so we're driven to achieve more and pursue more. Oh, the, oh so you got a starter job at the cashier? Well, when are you going to become the assistant manager? And when are you going to become the manager? And when are you going to try to buy into ownership? And uh, there's always more. And so we don't want to let other people down. We're afraid of ridicule. We don't know other people might. Oh, I've been doing stuck in that job for a while. Have you been? Is that it? 
So we, we, we get this need to, to prove ourselves by showing what we own and how much stuff we've got. We're afraid of our neighbor who's over there driving the, the Tesla of lawnmowers, you know, battery-operated, quiet, clean, nice wide cut. He's over there, and I'm over here with my Briggs and Stratton, and trying to, you know, this 20-year-old mower trying to make us, oh, I need to keep up with the Joneses, you know. It, all that just, we start confusing ourselves. What if he sees this old junker that I've got here? We can be afraid that we aren't enough, not just our stuff. And if we have more stuff, it can help us look like we are more than we think we are. And our issues of self-esteem and how we understand ourselves and our envy of others and our ambition to be more. And so, see, here's what happens. Money and possessions turn into a way that we think to prove that we are winning in life. Listen to me carefully. This might be the thing for you today. As long as you confuse your self-worth with your net worth, you're going to get stuck chasing the next dollar. It, it, was, it will always be that way. When you think, this is how I measure myself, I have to know what my net worth is. I want, it's got to be increasing. I, my stuff, my stuff, my money, my possessions, other people's impression of me. Because, folks, the end result of that chasing of dollars is not good. In America, we spend a hundred, in America, we spend 103% of what we make. Math majors, tell me what's wrong with that, right? When you spend 103% of what you earn because of debt and debt service, it is crazy. Debt and debt service and people following. Listen, do not let the banks and the brokerages set the course for you in all things financial. Banks can be a good thing. I use a bank. Brokerages can be useful. I got one. You know, I understand that. You got a 401k, a 403b, an IRA. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not down in those things. What I'm saying to you is their goals for you are one category. You know what they are? Financial. You prove your worth by this money that you give to them. They are not interested in telling you, be a good steward of your money. When's the last time your bank or your financial advisor said, I'm sorry, did you get your tithe squared away before you brought this money in? They're the ones who say, you know what, you, you ought to stop that, that religious giving, just bring it to us, and if you really want it to be for charity, we'll create another charitable trust over here, and we'll keep that money for you until later when you want to give it away. mm 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 Beware, beware. Now, you can use that. Uh, again, I don't want to down charitable trust. We have some folks who are gracious to us through those. What I'm saying to you is when you set that up, instead, instead of the God-directed and guided regular giving that he has for you to do, the tithes and offerings that he wants you to make a difference in this world with, you need to beware of that. You need to be aware. Financial institutions want you to spend your money in a way that benefits them, not you. Get your head wrapped around that. Be smart, folks. Be smart. Make space for God. And that's not the only problem. It's not just those folks. I mean, because uh, I don't want any, anybody who works in a bank or a brokerage today feel like I'm taking shots at you. I'm just saying they don't think about you first. They think about you're investing with them first. 
But if we do this kind of thing, we're also hurting ourselves. Our marriages, for example. Let me just say, when you chase it, couples list. When we ask people, what is the big challenge? Spending habits is always listed as one of the leading causes of divorce. Either they both spend too much and they're just constantly behind the eight ball. One spends and one doesn't and gets mad at the other, vice versa, all this kind of stuff. The average American works 47 hours a week. We talk about 40-hour jobs. The average American works 47 hours a week. That's more than most countries in the, in the developed world. And when you think about it, that additional time, right? If, okay, 40-hour week, 9 to 5, I'm, I'm punching it, okay? That extra seven hours, that's time you're not spending with your family. It's time you're not growing closer to your spouse. It's time you're not investing in your children, it's time that you're not getting to know your neighbors and your community. And so when we are chasing them, uh, listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying that no one here can never work more than 40 hours. We, we do. Most of us. In this area, that's not unusual. I'm saying to you, be wise of the cost. Make space for God. Do not let it all get shoved in one direction by this trading of self for stuff. There are actually reports that 75% of all doctor visits in America involve symptoms or conditions brought on by stress related to work and finances. So you get what I'm saying to you. You start trading your life for stuff. Listen to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin, and yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and the chasing of the wind. You know what, he's, 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 there's a balance. It's, it's not grabbing everything with two hands being about stuff, 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 stuff. It's understanding that there's a balance in life. Ecclesiastes 4. You know when that was written, right? Somewhere around 1,000 B.C. That, that, that evaluation's been around for 3,000 years now. And what are we still doing? Chasing the wind chasing the wind. Wow. When we find ourselves caught in that kind of cycle, the cycle of work and consumption, paycheck never goes far enough, work never seems to end, there's some questions you ought to be asking yourself. We're just going to throw them on, on the screen real quick for you. You need to ask yourself, what's the most important thing in my life? If you feel like you're chasing your tail, ask yourself this question. What's most important to me? How is what I'm devoting my time to, how does that align with that. If it's my most important thing in my life, am I really giving it the best and most of my time? Here's another one. Do I have joy in what I'm doing? And here's another one. Do my work and possessions bring me an equal measure of peace? Yeah. It's good. To, I mean, it's, it's okay. You like curling up beside a fireplace? I hope you have firewood or gas or whatever you need to be. That, there's nothing wrong. But do they bring you an equal measure, or, or, you get, or is it just sucking the life out of you, or is it putting back in? Now, if you don't like the answers to those questions, it could mean that it's time for a change in your life. 
Now, let me caution you. This does not mean that you should all go out tomorrow and quit your job. That, that is not at all what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you can quit your job and think that somebody else is going to pay your bills for you. That, that's probably not going to happen either. But what we can all do is think about what motivates us, what draws us, what, what moves us to go to those jobs and why we are doing them so that what we can also do is prioritize the things that are important in our lives and have our jobs and our work undergird those as much as possible. That may mean doing a little less overtime, doing some more in time with our families. It may mean I volunteer regularly at something that reminds me of the value of, 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 of that I hold dear. Maybe it's with, with homeless folks, or maybe it's a food kitchen, or maybe whatever. It may mean on a finite, maybe you say, I'm going to cancel this subscription to this thing over here. I've been paying $10 a month to this thing, and I, I don't really do that thing. I don't read that magazine. I don't go to that place. How about if I move that instead to Compassion International or someplace like that, or to my local church, or to whatever, or to the missionaries in the Philippines or the other places we have them, and say, here's, I'd rather do something more meaningful. See? We can all make those kinds of decisions. Where is your heart, and how is that coming out in this setting? Are you trading your life for stuff? Let's refuse to do that. First check on your heart. Are you trading self for stuff? Here's the second one. Learn to use money instead of chasing it. Use money instead of chasing it. First Timothy 6, one of my favorite verses, just because it reminds us, it's a very famous verse. I don't like it because it's joyful. I like it because it's clear. It keeps me on the right path. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And don't think that I'm unaware that, boy, there are so-called pastors and religious leaders who suffer greatly from this verse. So it, just being a religious leader does not exempt you from this temptation. Brothers and sisters, look, look carefully at that verse right there. I want you to notice something. That verse does not say that money is the problem. That is not what it says. It says it is the love of money that is the root, not of all evil, but of all kinds of evil. Money is not the problem. God is not anti-money. He knows that having money to take care of your needs is both a necessity and a blessing. And I want to say to those of you who work hard and earn your money, you don't have to, you don't have to be ashamed. That, that's God honors that. God honors. He says the laborer is worthy of his wage. That, there's nothing wrong with that. Making money can enable you to save more, give more, do more good in the world. There's no doubt about that. Let's be very clear about this. God is not opposed to you having money. God is opposed to money having you. And unfortunately, we're, we're not always clear about who's sitting at the dinner table because I think a lot of times money is eating our lunch. Uh, that's what I think. It's taking us to the woodshed. God does not want us to fall in love with money. How many of you know somebody who did something stupid because they were blinded by a desire to make money? I'm going to take my whole Christmas bonus and go down and buy lottery tickets. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm going to use my rent money to take a flyer on this. 
what? And not have a roof over your head, your, your spouse's, your children's head. What are you thinking, right? We, we, we do it. God wants to help us. And so he says, watch out. Money is a root of all kinds of evil. And, and part of the reason is money makes promises. Here, we put it in monetary terms. Money writes checks that it can't pay. <laughs> money makes promises that it can't keep. It promises to bring us peace. Money promises to make us feel secure. Money promises to fix almost everything that we think troubles us in our lives. And so we say stuff like this. When I get that next raise, I'll finally be able to relax. That's a lie from money. Once I get a little more in the bank, it'll be smooth sailing. It's a lie from money. If we can just get over this hump, then we can really start to enjoy life again. Money can't write that check, folks. Money can't, it can't support that check. And so what happens is we talk about our hearts. Sometimes we let our hearts lead us astray in regards to money. We give money, we assign to money a meaning and a power that it does not deserve. So we know that God wants us to work hard. God wants us to be responsible with what we have. But if we take it another step and think, so God wants us to have more and more stuff. And God wants us all to have more and more money. And then money becomes kind of like this silver bullet that will fix all our problems. And now we are on the road of deception and pain. So first heart check is deciding to avoid trading self for stuff. The second heart check to avoid chasing after the false promises of money. And then one more, this third heart check, equally important. To make space in my heart to learn contentment, I'm going to have to practice contentment by enjoying what I have. Enjoying what I have. Because you see, gratitude, appreciation for what we already have, that's just as important as controlling your desire to wanting more. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a big part of that process. The ability to enjoy what we have is a gift that God wants to give to you. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5. It is a good thing to receive wealth. And understand that's a relative word. That doesn't mean lots of money. It just means many blessings. You've got many blessings in your life. It's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. Enjoy what you have. It doesn't have to always be about more. Now, folks, this sounds very simple. But it is surprisingly difficult to live out. We are so driven by achieving the next thing that we don't want to slow down. We don't want to pause. We don't want to make room to think and to feel what's going on. The sense of guilt about, oh, I got, I got to provide more. I got to do more. I got to, that keeps us from appreciating the gifts that we already have been given. Question for you. I want you to think about it. Have you ever gotten a special gift from somebody? Maybe it's a high-quality gift, something that's really beautiful or expensive. Sometimes people give us nice gifts, and we, what do we do? We, we put them away, right? It's like your china cabinet for a lot of us who grew up with that. We, we talk about this all the time at home. 
Because you, know, you had the good china that you save for just special occasions. And the stuff you use every day. And, you know, we've, we've in the last few years started looking at each other and saying, you know, I don't know what we're waiting for. We ain't getting any younger. Let's, let's all the good china out and use it. You know, and what's even sillier, and this, this I have to confess this has happened to me, although it tends to be with smaller things, but, you know, some gifts we get, we buy, and we're, we're going to give them later, right? So what do we do? We hide them. Then we forget <laughs> where we put it. We forget that we bought it. Honest confession time. Year end, you, I was cleaning up the home, the home office, moving stacks of paper around. <laughs> Found a bill I hadn't paid. That was interesting. Uh, I was cleaning out one of the drawers of the of the secretary off, you know, in the office there, and I found a, the perfect card that I found for Callie's college graduation. Only problem is she graduated two years ago. <laughs> this is what happens. We, we don't live in the moment. The perfect, listen, the perfect opportunity for st- all that. Be careful about that kind of thinking. Don't let the wonderful gifts go to waste. Enjoy what God has entrusted to you. He wants you to, don't be the dog. Suck it up in 20 seconds. Enjoy it. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given. And the key to that is one word, gratitude. Gratitude. It's such a powerful thing. It keeps our hearts from wandering and helps us to focus on the goodness of God. And listen, I'm going to close with this. I want you to think about this. This this requires a little more engagement, folks. I'm not talking about just a general sense of thankfulness. Thank you, God, for everything. Amen. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, you know contentment, you know gratitude when you have this awareness that lives with you. It lives with you, and in, in surprising moments sometimes, it'll pop up, and it will remind you it's purposeful, it's intentional, it's a choice. I have to have this gratitude, and I have to have this contentment so that when I am tempted, that this thing over here says, if you buy me, you'll be happy, and I can look at it and say, you're a liar. You're just stuff. But if I'm not walking in gratitude and contentment, boy, when it pops up, oh, that's what I've been looking for. No, it's not. It's just calling out your name. Beware. It's the awareness of gratitude and contentment that sustains us when our circumstances are telling us we don't have enough. We need more. So, as you focus on what God has given and enjoy that. You stop exchanging yourself for stuff. When you stop thinking that money will provide the answers. When you can live with the gifts that God has already given you, that you already possess, you are learning, learning to be content. Let's pray. God, thank you that you don't mind us having good stuff. You've blessed us. You've given us so much relationships, people, stuff, resources. Thank you. We know that you want us to be good managers of what you've entrusted to us, but we're also grateful that you want us to know contentment and joy. That will help us make space, God, and that's what we want to do. We want to make space for you and your work in our lives, in our families, in our church, 
in our community. Thank you, God, for being such a good father, a good provider for us. Thank you for giving so much to us. Help us not to be driven by an unreasonable desire for stuff or money, but help us to focus on you, that we might have a balanced, grateful, content soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was praying, the song that we sang earlier came to my mind. I give up all lesser things for greater. That's what God wants for us today.